listening to Fox Sports Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Always good to be here, RJ, and yes, on a day in which the NFL is back later on tonight. We've also got the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team in the gold medal game. What is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? So, AJ is going to have a best bet in the game. That's going to be in our pick segment, which is always the last segment of the show, right around 645 or low after that, Eastern. I'm going to have at least one best bet there. I'm thinking of two, but at least one. In addition, it won't be on the Hall of Fame game, but I think we start with the bigger picture of Dallas and Pittsburgh, specifically Dak and Big Ben, neither playing. Yeah, neither of those guys are going to be playing tonight as announced by their teams. Ben Roethlisberger, that's a team decision. Dak Prescott still dealing with a little bit of a shoulder issue, but it is the first NFL game of the season. It's just the preseason, but the Hall of Fame game is back. 8 Eastern time on Fox between the Steelers and Cowboys. And right now on pregame.com, it's Pittsburgh, who's a two and a half point favorite. And that's been bet up from Pickham. And as we said in the headlines, the total 31 and a half points. So let me think about this. 17-14 is 31. So it would slip under 17-14. That's not a lot of scoring. But Jonas, I found it interesting. You said a little bit of shoulder soreness. Are you how believing are you of that this is only a little something? It's been, what, a week since he's thrown? Yeah, I think it's a little bit more than what they're leading on, especially when they make a comment that they're going to scale things back a little bit just to take extra precaution. It, to me, I, I just wonder if there's a little bit more going on than, than they're trying to tell the media and the public. When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. I mean, some people are believers, some aren't. (laughs) I'm a little skeptical. AJ, how skeptical are you that Dak has bigger problems than they're letting on? I'm very skeptical. I thought, even though we've seen fewer and fewer quarterbacks taking many snaps in the preseason, I would think that Dak coming off what he'd come off of and them saying how healthy he was, how healthy the leg was. First off, he hasn't thrown for a week. So I, I don't think he would have played anyway, and maybe your point's valid there, but if he hasn't thrown for a week, he's not going to play in the game. Well, certainly not, but that's what I'm saying. I think the fact that he hasn't thrown for a week is pretty telling that, that something's maybe, I don't want to say seriously wrong, but it's certainly not a minor issue. It may be only minor, but I think it's maybe an indicator of more to come. Wouldn't you want him to get as many reps as possible? Not, I'm not talking about in the game. I'm talking about in practice. Off of what, based off what happened last year, you want to get as, as that guy oh, as well, much rust knocked say, off you as say possible. What happened? Okay, the rust knocked. Because here's the thing: 
and this, a couple people at the NFL level talked about this. You throw with your legs, right? A good thrower throws with his legs. Dak came in, not a first-round pick, but he, he could run. He had strong lower body for a quarterback. Now, he's rehab. I think one thing that you've got to be optimistic about is general health is he worked out and rehabilitated himself in the Cowboys facility almost exclusively. So when Dallas signed him to that long contract, they were able to observe up to that point his progress. So I think that the progress is probably what they expected. But that doesn't mean that his lower body maybe being a little weaker would lead to him putting a little more arm in his throws and lo and behold, arm soreness. And the question is, is that lower body going to get back to 100%? Not even the concern being the lower body, but the other effects that a weaker lower body would have in the arm specifically. I mean, think of Big Ben, the other quarterback here. One throw, not last season, but the season before. Oh, rupture tended. You know, I know it's not like Tommy John as much as, as pitchers, but Jonas, I mean, these quarterbacks, we think they're indestructible, but I don't know indestructible. We don't think of their arms being the problem, but that worries me. I mean, how many, how many quarterbacks have sat out because of arm soreness? I mean, is it even five a year? Like, if you take the whole year from preseason to the Super Bowl, is there five starting quarterbacks that miss practice time, like a week of practice, let's say, like he has now? Because of arm soreness. I don't no. think it's more than five. No, it's not. And when Mike McCarthy makes the comment that, you know, they're trying to avoid it becoming something bigger, that tells me that if that's even a possibility, that I just wonder how much we're even going to see of him in the preseason at all. And look, we saw Ben Roethlisberger undergo a major uh, elbow injury, elbow surgery, and come back last year. And, and I'm not saying this is going to get to that extent, but you know, to AJ's point, when Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott both say about a, a week and a half ago, we want to get reps in the preseason, we absolutely want to play in the preseason, and then here we are, your first opportunity to do so, and you can't make it out there, and it's not because of your previous injury, that to me is a little bit of cause for concern. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my gut feeling is he wouldn't have played this game anyway. And it, 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 but I agree with you guys. To me, the more telling uh, truth is that he wasn't practicing. Right. So I could, if he would have practiced and not played the game, I could deal with it. The very fact. And I don't know if we got the rotation fully straight yet. I know it's uh, Mason Rudolph first quarter. I heard Haskins only second quarter. You heard second and third. Uh, McKenzie on a couple days vacation, stepping up. Next man up, as Tomlin would say. (laughs) Spencer, do we have that rotation yet? Yeah, so the expectations is Haskins will finish the first half and Dobbs will finish the game, so throughout the entire second half. Okay, okay so RJ correct, AJ incorrect. incorrect. Okay, thank keep you, that, Keep that tally. No, no, I mean, I do mentally in my head. I'm not going to always like calculate it like that, but I'd say half the time, maybe. Okay. When I'm right. When you're right, you'll calculate. <laughs> Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm RJ. He's AJ. This is straight out of Vegas with Jonas in LA. Yeah, we got to remember Dallas and Pittsburgh are playing four preseason games. Everyone else plays three. So in a way, this is you know it used to be five for the Hall of Fame. 
I mean, Jonas, McVeigh, the young blood seemed to be like, don't even play their starters a snap. Uh, in general, it feels like the league is going in that direction, though I'm not saying McCarthy's like that and Tomlin isn't necessarily like that, though Big Ben, I'm not surprised at all that Big Ben's not playing. I, I just think in general, this year's preseason is going to be telling about how important the preseason is, because a lot of people looked at last year and said, huh, the league, it didn't seem too affected by not having preseason games. What's your position? I like to bet the preseason, so I like it. As a fan, what's your position on the preseason? I absolutely love it. I love the preseason. Uh, that, that sounds dumb, but I, I just think there's something to being able to watch You know, for on, a, on a couple of different levels. First of all, football's back, so everybody's excited about it. There's also a sort of a stress-free element to it, which, which I think is a little bit more of a relaxing watch. You get to see a lot of these players who are trying to make teams, make an impact and get out there and and you get your first glimpse as to what these guys are going to look like and how these players are going to play. And sometimes in the case of Dak Prescott, perfect example, first preseason game he ever had was against the Rams at the Coliseum and he was phenomenal. And there was the debate back and forth, all right, yeah, but that does that translate into the into mm-hmm. the NFL regular season and it did. So I I I love the preseason. I've always been a fan of it and I'm I'm happy it's back. So you're saying from your perch in national radio. Yeah. And apparently you're doing like the mornings now, like almost <laughs> regularly. Like you're, you're, it's, it's like, I, I actually didn't know that. And they told me, I'm like, geez, he's not even complaining. Give the guy credit. <laughs> but from your perch of four hours of national radio day part in a, in a, a day. So let me do the math here. 20 hours a week. Um, you're saying that these guys who are either going to be selling used cars if they don't make the team, or they're going to have an NFL career if they do, you're saying low pressure. Yeah, I mean, well, just from a fan, from from a watch standpoint, for those players, no, it's high pressure. But from a watch standpoint, unless you've got money on the game, and if you've got money on the game, no, you're going to be stressed you. out regardless. But like half these stadiums don't even paint their end zones. I mean, like like a lot but, of them but, are just mailing it in. But they 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 mail them the. Billing, because if you're a season ticket holder, you have to buy these games. Yes, that's true. Yeah, but I do think AJ, we should take just one more minute and think about Jonas again. Twenty hours of national radio at this point, <laughs> day part a, a week, and he says, "Oh, low pressure." I'm already a multi-millionaire. I mean, listen, I respect it. I mean, listen, look, when you're the fill-in guy and you're doing weekend radio, everything seems like low pressure. Oh, look, I don't know to that, that old tale is starting to be old. <laughs> All right, let's look finally here at the history of the Hall of Fame game. Because with the total being 31 and a half, now what's the total if you don't bet? It's you add up the points. So 17, 14 is 31. That would go under. So here's the Hall of Fame games. And I'll just give you the scores. Don't worry. Well, I'll give you the total points. In 2019, 24 points. 2018, 33 points. 2017, 38 points. 2015, it was canceled in 16, field conditions. 17 points. 30 points in 14. 44 in 13. You want to read the last couple, Spencer? Too small on the screen. So, in uh, 2012... The total was uh, 27. Mm-hmm. In 2011, there was a lockout year, so no game. 2010, there was a total of uh, 23. All right, that's good. Okay. So, what we're saying here is 
if you add it up, there's one game, 24-20 in 2013, that got over 40. No other game has gotten over 40. When we talk about the Hall of Fame game, and you said that they have to play an extra game when mm-hmm. you do that, you would think that would be the least intense game. Exactly. But well, the least amount of starters. I guess so, but I also think, like, when I think of intense games, like, the, a less intense game would mean more offense, a la the Pro Bowl seen, or something. But you've seen football before, right? Sure. Like, these guys don't know the plays. <laughs> I mean, like, fair. to some degree. And, and here's the thing offensive line play. When you get to that second string, it's not like running backs. That third string back might be almost as good on some teams. Third, even a receiver might be. Quarterback play is a problem, and line play. And the thing is, they don't want to put their quarterbacks if they're not. They, even if they wanted to play Big Ben, let's say for whatever reason, they're never going to put Big Ben behind the second string line. And if the line's not ready to go, the quarterback's only going as long as the line's going. Sure. So, to me, it goes to show you, and this is a macro point that, that applies to the NFL in general, less practice time, these linemen coming from college, and they're in spread offenses and not run blocking, oftentimes not even putting down in a stance, and it's a big, slow transition to the NFL. And the first and second year linemen, for the most part, struggle. It's like third, fourth year, these linemen start to really apply themselves. Now, we've seen exceptions, right? But Tampa had a rookie that did well last year at guard. But in general, look at the line play. And I think that's the main reason you see that. And let's be candid, quarterback play. Though I do think Haskins as a second stringer, is obviously more talented than the typical second stringer. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, RJ, Team USA Basketball is on their way to the gold medal game at the Olympics in Tokyo. They'll be taking on France after they get a 97-78 win over Australia. Let me pose the following theory. If Team USA hits the point spread in the gold medal game, exactly. Well, I guess it's 12 and a half. So, somewhere in that range, 12 or 13. Would this be the most impressive or easy gold medal we've had in how long? I'd have to think back, but it, it's because I mean, we know Kobe. I mean, we know there was a couple like that one. I think it was 08 when Kobe, and it was like they were tight with like four minutes left, and you know there was all this, you know. So it feels like forget the pre-Olympic stuff. And I say even forget losing a game, you know, like in the games that were knockout type games. I mean, it feels like this has been a coast. No, and especially considering they're all double digit spreads and they've either covered or pushed coast, on all of coast. them. So, yeah, it's it's hard to, to say not. It, it, especially if you're not counting, you know, the, the pre knockout round games, the, the loss to France, it, then yeah, it would be one of the one of the easier runs, at least in a long time. Yeah, and I guess you gotta count that, but but I mean, this was a team that came together late. I mean, Jonas, you follow all this stuff closely. I mean, 
I just remember in prior years that various NBA guys I would know were in town extensively for Team USA stuff. It feels obviously the pandemic affected things, but it felt like the prep for this team, Team USA basketball, was by far the least we've had since the Dream Team. Yeah, especially when you consider Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. They just played in the finals, and they had to turn around and come all the way to, to Tokyo to, to compete in this. I, I did find it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't the line been 12 and a half like the last three games? Well, it is interesting because France uh, is considered to be significantly better than Australia. Team USA against Australia was minus 12, favored by 12. And they obviously covered that. They won by 19. But now against France, it's 12 and a half. So what we're seeing here is as Team USA covers, looks impressive, as the competition gets better, the line's not going down because Team USA is getting upgraded significantly after each of these games. Do you wonder if there's maybe, I know you've talked about it before, to where sometimes, you know, they're not experts on everything. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the bookies will put a line out there that they don't really know what they're doing. Is this more of a, we're not quite sure about this, so let's just make it 12 and a half every single game and then just roll with the same line? No, see, they got power. They're going to have power rankings on it. And they're gonna, you know, and they're gonna take their best shot. Now, what bookies will do when they're uncertain, and I think the uncertainty here is higher than, let's say, the NBA Finals, right? Yeah. Because they don't know these uh, non-USA teams nearly as well. And you can speculate and say, well, you got Luca, you got this, but it's not a science, you know, it's art and science. But what they'll do, the bookies, is open up at low limits. Maybe they're taking, let's say, two dimes, 2000 Now, 2000 is a lot of money, but not for a big bookie. And then there's professionals that only bet 2000 a game. And I'll say only, meaning they want to bet that early line. Because the paradox is, if you're betting 100000 a game like the syndicates do, you don't want to bet that, even if it's a good number. You don't want to give away who you like for 2000 bucks. You got to wait. And those syndicates don't get to bet a lot of the games because the line will get moved by the smaller bettors. But again, smaller being 1,000 or 2,000. There's a lot of sharp basketball guys that are cracking that early number. But in general, if the bookies aren't sure of their number, they'll put it out there and let it get in the industry. We call it shaped up. The bettors will shape up this line. Gotcha. Right? And it's cheap. Sometimes it's cheaper. To put out a line that's a guess, let the betters shape it up, because what are they losing? Let's say there's a 10% ROI on those bets. So for one bet, it was a $200 cost of a $2,000 bet, let's say, theoretically for the bookie. Maybe they take three limit bets. So it costs them 600 bucks to get that line shaped up. Okay. How much would it cost to hire someone on staff to be able to get that line a little bit sharper? Sometimes they hire the people, like in the gotcha. NFL, but in the more niche sports, and this isn't a niche sport, but the Olympics is niche, is they will not hire someone and let the better shape it up. AJ, as a better, how does that strike you? Well, it, it strikes me that this line may have been shaped up some, too, based on last night's results. If we had a look-ahead line before the games got played last night, mm-hmm. I, I think most people agreed France was a better team than Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but the U.S. thumping Australia... France winning by one point on a last-second block shot, maybe a line that would have been 
nine ten is now twelve and a half. So I do think last night's results and maybe some money uh, pushed it up here. Only only thing I question here is Slovenia in that game against France was a favored by two and a half. So if you're France and you're a two and a half point underdog and you win the game, you've exceeded expectations, sure. right? So what I'm saying is, it looks like Slovenia would have been a little shorter line than France is, but you got to upgrade France for winning that game. Right. right. I, but you'd also have to upgrade the U.S. Oh, big time. I mean, they, they, they covered comfortably. Yeah. Um, Spencer, can you check to see what the opener was in this game? Yes, I can. One moment. All right. So, because we'll see if, if it was shorter and it got bet up or not. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. As we're looking that up, let's look at the first game against France in which France won. Why? Set the context for us, AJ. Yeah, 83-76. France win in the in the first game of the uh, of pool play. France won. So this was the one loss by Team. The USA. one loss, and really Evan Fournier and Rudy Gobert were were the driving force for France. Uh, Fournier. 11 of 22, 28 points. Rudy Gobert, 5 of 6 for 14. The thing that jumped out at me from the box Gobert, score... Gobert, obviously, a defensive guy. Right. But, but I, I mean, in, in international play, he's a, he's a problem on both ends because most teams don't carry a real big mm. to defend a guy like him. Uh, but for the USA, the, the three best players on Team USA, Dame Lillard, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, uh, 8 of 28 from the field in that game. Four combined. Of, 4 of 17 from 3 combined. And they accounted for 6 of the 12 turnovers for that team. So the guys that you'd expect to be playing the best were not playing the best, at least early on. Now we've seen Devin Booker turn it on. We've seen Kevin Durant turn it on. We've seen Drew Holiday really come on and play a big role in the last few games defensively. So it looks like maybe it's a totally different Team USA. But in that first game, they did not get the best performances from their best players. So this was the first game of the entire Olympic tournament. That's A.J. Hoffman. We are straight out of Vegas.